This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Man, so glad y'all are here uh, to, to join us and to be a part of, of this, uh, really this first gathering. Um, let me just give a little, little background. My name's Corey, one of the pastors. Um, we started Austin Life Church. Depends on how you look at it. Um, Vince, you know, mentioned that we started in, in our house almost two years ago, this September, and then we started services last September. Uh, so it depends on how you look at, like, when did you officially start uh, but, but we're coming up on a year of services, and so we're still really young in this, this church world, church planting thing, as they call it. Um, and, and our whole purpose from the get-go was and is to lead people to life in Jesus. Um, we, we just, um, I, I don't know if, as, as I was praying before service started, uh, I think like 94% of you are still out there. We're trying to get people in. We don't know what to do with that. Um, we're probably just going to like blast a hole through this wall. I don't know. Um, but, but we just was just praying for God's presence because that's what sets this apart from everything else, right? Like if we just want music or teaching, we have plenty of venues for that. Life in him, and that is through Jesus. And so that is our purpose, is that whether this is the only Sunday you're ever here um, or, or you're here um, uh, with, with the rest of us for the long haul, um, which I'm going to speak that into existence now since no one stays in Austin, we're just speaking that into existence. Um, is that each, each day you'll know Jesus more. Uh, there's no ceiling on knowing Christ. Like, we're not going to get to the end and be like, oh, I've got everything figured out, like onto something else. Um, and so we will always be able to know him more. Uh, and that's our prayer, and that's our hope. Um, as far as this building, this is our first Sunday here. We are still figuring things out and making adjustments. Um, so one, I do want to go ahead and note, uh, these, these TV monitors will be higher in the future. Um, and so there, there's, a, there's a stage coming and, and whatnot uh, that just helps with seeing things, so know that. Um, we, we know that that needs to happen, that will happen. If there's other things you see, um, let us know. If you're like, hey, did you think about this? Um, we just want to learn and, and know how to adjust things as we're getting things started. Uh, so please don't hesitate to let us know um, if you observe some things that, that could be different or could be better. Uh, we we want to know that as well. Uh, we need help. Uh, so if, if this is your church home, um, then that means you've got a spot, to, to a role to play. Ephesians 4 says that it's when we're all using our gifts, playing our part, that the church is built up. And so if this is your church family, that means you've got something to contribute and something to do. Um, if you're, if you're, you're just like, I don't know, maybe, hey, you can still come and do stuff. We need setup and, and tear down help. So every week now we have to lay this flooring out. We have to put the chairs out. Um, all of this happens on the front end and the back end of every service. Um, that requires more, more hands on deck than we used to have. Uh, what's the saying? Many hands make light, makes light work, something like that. Um, so we need, we need more hands. Um, kids, right? We need more hands with kids and helping serve with kids so that the same volunteers aren't always in kids and they can actually be in here with us as well. Um, hospitality. Uh, so di just different things. If, if you're like, hey, I want to help, um, please let me know. Uh, let Mike know. Um, we, we will get you connected to the right person so that you can help with that um, because we all, we all have a part to play and we need some help. Um, one last thing I would say, uh, as, as, so I made some notes just as I'm observing. I'm like, okay, what are some things to observe? Two last things, so that's not really a last thing anymore. Um, one is, uh, sit, if you can, sit, sit up front, um, if you don't mind. Um, so, so one, the space is not the biggest, right? So it's going to fill up, um, and so we need to take advantage of the seats. Two, uh, if you come in after things have begun, and people are standing, you don't see any of these chairs, right? And so the, the perception is, oh, I don't, I don't know where to sit. There's not space for me. Uh, and so um, since, since we're all going to be here, um, you know, at 10 a.m. for worship, let's just go ahead and move up, and that, and that way we can leave those seats for people like Mark who walk in late, and he's like, hey, here's a seat, buddy. Um, I, so it's, I, I won't typically call, call you out by name. It's just I saw Mark, and, you know, he needs it. Um, what's that? No, just, just a couple people, just a couple. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then uh, finally, this is the last thing. Uh, let me just encourage you to invite people to come with you. Uh, and so a lot of times, it's like a new year. Um, and January 1st, everybody's in the gym. Like, we're going to do it this time. Like, we're going to get this right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my diet for three weeks this time or whatever it is, right? So a lot of times it transitions in new things. People are like, okay, sure, yeah, I'll check that out. So invite someone to come with you. 
Um, and not because our desire is not to be this big, like, mega church, to be in magazines or whatever. Our desire is for people to know Jesus, and the vast majority of people in Austin don't. Um, and, and so invite your friends to come and to worship and explore who Jesus is with you. Um, our hope is that there's always an open seat for anyone and everyone. That it doesn't matter your story or your background or your age or your race or your gender or, or whatever you're coming in here with. Um, there's an open seat and level ground for everyone to come and explore who Jesus is. We just trust that he's impressive enough that he can do the work from there. Um, that it doesn't have to be on us to do that work. And so um, please don't hesitate. Invite people to come with you and just to explore uh, who Jesus is. Okay, I think that's enough of the um, announcements and, and the kind of front end of things. Let's pray, and then we're going to get into Psalm 27 um, today. God, um, and Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians that he came in weakness and fear and much trembling, and I 100% feel that today. Um, and I'm just asking God that you will show your power. Um, I, apparently, weakness is something to, to celebrate because then your strength is seen even greater. And so I just pray for myself and for everyone else who's feeling weak that we will learn how to celebrate and rejoice in that so that you can be seen as greater. Uh, and so show your power today, God. Um, let us hear your voice. Uh, you speak to us. You are alive and you're active. Your word, it speaks to us. And so we want to hear you and to know what you have to say to us. And so speak to us, God. I just want to invite you to take a second um, and just to be still, um, just yourself before the Lord and to posture your, your mind and your heart in humility to hear whatever he would have to say to you. And so take a second and just sit before the Lord and, and open up your mind and your heart to him. All right, God, we're here. We want to we hear you. We want to know you. Um, make yourself known. In Christ we pray. Amen. All right, Psalm 27. Uh, if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to it. Um, it, it's, it's kind of right in the middle. Back in the day when I did this thing called Bible drill. Anybody ever do Bible drill growing up in the old school Baptist church? Um, uh, there we go. Okay. Um, so, the, so fun side story, just to, just to let you know like what kind of people we are and who I am and my character. Um, they had competitions in Bible drill, and, and I made it to the regional round. Um, yes. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hold, hold, hold that for a second. <laughs> And so they have you up there, and, and part of the competition is they'll, they'll say a verse, right? So they're like, Psalm 27.1, and you hold the Bibles like this, and then you, and you have, I don't know, 10 seconds to get there, right? And then, and then if you get there, you step forward, and then of those who step forward who found it within the time, like they'll call on one or two people to read the, read the verse. So they call on it, and I wasn't there. I just risked it. I just stepped forward and just hoped that they wouldn't call on me. They didn't. I advanced to the next round. There we go. So, uh, yeah, there, there you go. That's, that's me. Um, Psalm 27, verse 1, I have no clue. Oh, because they taught you to find psalms, just kind of put your thumbs in the middle, and uh, you're more than likely going to be close to psalms because it's kind of in the middle. Um, and so Psalm 27 is where we're going to be. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some in the back on these tables or in the table out in the, in the lobby there. We would love for you to have one. Uh, verses will be on the screen for sure. Um, but, but we just think there's so much value in, in having the words of God uh, and so if you don't have a Bible, take one with you. We'd love for you to have it. Uh, so I just want to read through the psalm um, for us to read together. And then we're, we're just going to talk about it for a bit. Sound good? All right. Psalm 27. It says, Of David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. 
Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we live in a day that is, uh, I, I just think, you know, studies and psychologists are showing that we live in a day where anxiety and fear is just at a rampant pace, uh, just running wild. Um, so the, the amount of medicines taken for anxiety or depression or fear is just continuing to, to increase. Uh, and so we just live in a fear where, where anxiety and fear, I mean, a day where fear just surrounds us. I mean, everywhere we look, everything we think of, just surrounded by us is fear. Sometimes it's little things, right? Like, what should I wear today? Um, we, we can be anxious about uh, what clothes we're going to put on. Um, will my team win the game? Uh, let's be honest, like, there can be some legit fear and anxiety that comes with our favorite sports team. Um, did my last Instagram post get enough noticed? Um, studies are showing increasingly so that social media is directly linked to an increase in depression and anxiety. I believe one day we're going to look back and, and we're going to grieve what has happened from that world, but um, until, until further notice, we shall see. Um, but that, that is a place of anxiety and fear. Other times it's bigger things. What does my future look like? I have no clue where I'm going or what I'm doing. Am I going to have a family? Is my family going to, to make it the long run? What about my health? Either we have history of health or we're suffering with something now, and those things can cause incredible fear and uncertainty. Where are we going to live? How are we going to afford it? How are we going to pay the bills? I need a job. Right? There's things that, that whether big or small, um, no doubt, I, I'm willing to bet today, if you haven't encountered it already, at some point today, you'll, you'll have the opportunity for fear or anxiety to, to press in around you. Um, fear over the last uh, really couple of years has, has played a, at times, crippling part in my life. Um, I drew a picture out from my counselor that looked like this. I sent it to Robert. Um, and, and this is in sincerity. I just drew this out and I said, I feel like there is fear and anxiety and, and approval. And, like, it's just constantly surrounding me and looking for a way in, right? And so if it's, if it's not up here, it's looking over here. If it's not over there, it's looking around here. And I just feel like I can, I can sense it just around me looking for a way to attack and to, to crash in. Anyone else ever feel that way? It just feels like life is surrounding you and waiting to take you down. And yet the Bible, in some variations, says over 300 times to not fear. Like over, over 300 times to not fear. Anyone else ever read that and be like, okay, this may be for them, but this obviously isn't for me? Or just feel like you're doing something wrong? I, I just, I struggle with this and because trouble, it surrounds us. It presses in. Jesus told us we're going to have troubles. We're going to have persecutions. It's been this way for as long as we know because that's what David is writing about here in Psalm 27. And in many other Psalms, you read the Psalms and you just see so many times where David is crying out from the bottom, where he's crying out from desperation or hurt or fear or uncertainty or doubt. And he's questioning, God, where are you? What have you done? And so we know that it's not just us. I don't think that fear is a new thing or anxiety is a new thing. I just think it's more documented and recorded now because we post it everywhere. But I think that, it, I mean, obviously it still existed. And yet here's what the Bible tells us. And I, I say what the Bible tells us because if I were to be the one telling you this, then I would probably have to like be correcting what I say all the time because I struggle with this immensely. But this is what the Bible tells us is that we don't have to fear. That no matter what is going on, no matter what the circumstances in life, however good or however bad or however dark or however hopeless, what we don't have to fear. That's what the Bible tells us. And the reason we don't have to fear, it's not because of our own strength. It's not because we're super special or we've got it figured out or we've got the right you know, antidote or whatever. The reason we don't have to fear is because of who the Lord 
is. Because of his character, because of what's unchanging and true about him, it affects us and we don't have to fear. That's where David starts. So the start of this psalm in 27 uh, is David confidently expressing who the Lord is and why he doesn't have to fear. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it's they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Yes, please, I would love the confidence to know that there is an army around me, and yet I'm just, I'm good. Like, I'm just, I'm good. This is David's confidence. This is his certainty, is that because the Lord is his hope for a new day and a safe place, he doesn't have to fear anything else around him because the Lord is bigger than it all. That's the certainty that David starts here with. So I think it's important to know the context a little bit. As we know what David, when he's saying this, right, like, yeah, that's easy to say when everything's going great. Like, I can, I can quote that all day long when everything around me is just flowing. But it's good to know the context here. So a little, little history or a little, you know, background on the Bible. I, Stephanie and I were talking about this the other day. The Bible is arranged in the Old Testament by genre. So you have all the wisdom and poetry books of the Bible kind of right here in the middle. But, but it's not arranged chronologically. So if you were just to put all the chapters and all the verses in a chronological order, the Old Testament will look nothing like what we have it as. And so, thankfully, there's people who are much smarter than me and have done the research, and they have actually put together chronological Bibles. I highly recommend reading it at some point, um, because it takes this psalm, and it places it in the history of what was happening so that you can understand the context a little more. So when you look at the chronological Bible, we see that Psalm 27 is placed in the time of 1 Samuel 21 through 24. And so if we go and we're, we look at 1 Samuel 21 through 24, and we see, okay, okay, what was happening in David's life when he, when he sat down in his journal and he wrote this out? Like, what was going on around him when he said this? And what we know is that David was literally running every day for his life. And that's not figuratively speaking. Like, he was hoping to make it alive to the next day. So in 1 Samuel uh, 16, David, or is it 17, 16 or 17, it's close enough, right? David goes and defeats Goliath, and from that point on, like, his stock and popularity skyrockets. And then he's anointed to be the future king, you know, no big deal, right? And so he's just, like, taking off in popularity. Well, the current king Saul is not having that, right? Like, if you're the king and someone else is kind of shooting up, what do you do? You take him out. You can't have a rival or a threat to your throne. And so King Saul is set out to kill David. And not just like, hey, can you get out of here? Like, literally, to kill him. Every day, he's sending thousands and thousands of, of soldiers to go and to hunt him down and to kill him. And if you get in his way, then he'll kill you too. There's a story of these priests that, that helped David along the way. And so Saul's had the priests all killed. Let's kill them all. And so David is literally on edge, looking over his shoulder every moment for, for a spear to come flying at him or for a sword to come chopping at him. Like, he is genuinely afraid and looking for his life, to make it to the next day. Like he just wants to know he's going to wake up and go, ah, here we are, we're still alive. Like I've never encountered that type of opposition. Like I've never had that type of, of enemy. I don't know war, I don't understand this type of, of life, but it's, it's no doubt miserable and anxious, uncertain. A lot of times it's just the uncertainty that is worse than the actual event itself. It's the uncertainty of knowing, okay, is there someone around that corner? Is there danger lurking? Is something going to happen tomorrow? That is David's existence every single day right now. And now we don't, I don't think any of us have, you know, armies after us. I think that our lives are probably safe. I think we're probably pretty confident that tomorrow we're going to wake up unless some unforeseen accident happens. But, but nonetheless, we, we find ourselves in similar situations where anxieties and fears and dangers are, are constantly lurking. Right, where there's, there's things that are surrounding us and we're looking over our shoulder and we're on edge and we're just wondering, is this going to work out? Am I going to make it to there? Is this going to go the way that I thought? How do I handle this, right? And so we, we may not know the actual life or death scenario, but we, we understand this feeling of just being surrounded, of, of having something that's genuinely worthy of, of fear and, and anxiety, right? We, we understand that. And yet David says, 
No. Whom shall I fear? Don't be afraid. There's 3,000 soldiers surrounding our 200 men. Ah, it's all right. I'm, not, I'm, I'm confident. I'm confident in that. How? How is David confident? How can you and I be confident and, and, and steady regardless of the circumstances around us? It's in knowing who the Lord is. That he is my light and my salvation. Light the, is, the, is the Hebrew word that, uh, that, that means daybreak, dawn, like literally light. That, that, that the day comes in, the, it comes and it breaks through the darkness and the night is over. David knows, people know that, that the greatest attacks come at night when you can't see, when you, you don't know what's coming, right? So you, you look for the day, you look for the light because with the light comes hope. It comes certainty that we have another day to keep going. And so he's looking for that light. He's looking for salvation, for deliverance, for rescue, literally to be alive. He's looking to make that. And he says he's looking for a stronghold, a safe place. So they were hiding in this context in the caves around them. And so they literally had concrete or rock walls all around them. There was one entrance in and out, one entrance and exit. And so that was their stronghold. They knew no one was coming from behind because it was a, it was a cave. There was only one way in. And so it was their stronghold because they were protected by the walls around them. But, but David knew that his confidence couldn't be in that. So often, right, we look to those things as our confidence. We look to other people, other things as our, our way of escape. David could have trusted in his military strength, right? He was a, he was a very wise military strategist. He could have trusted in his own, own um, battles and, and, and ways to fight his way out. Like, he's already defeated Goliath. He's already defeated bears and lions with his bare hands. Like, he's, he, he's capable. He can handle it himself, right? Like, he can, he can pick himself up by his bootstraps. He can go get the job done. There's a problem in front of him. David can take care of it. That's the type of guy David is. He could have trusted in the surroundings, in the, the strongholds, in the walls of his home or his job or his 401k or his relationships. Like he could have trusted in all those other things around him, but David knows that all of those things will let him down just like they're going to let us down. If that's where our trust and our confidence, our security is, it's going to let us down at some point. What gave David the confidence was the confidence of who the Lord was, that the Lord was his rescue, that the Lord was his new beginning, that the Lord was his new day, that the Lord was his security and safety, and that if he is with the Lord, then nothing can overcome him unless the Lord so allows it. And so that's where his confidence was, regardless of the circumstances around him. I believe that that's true for us today. The same thing that, that David needed is what you and I need. And the same answer that was for David is the same answer that's for you and me. And that's that the Lord is our light and salvation. He is our fresh start and our new beginning. And he is our stronghold. He is our security. And that nothing can overcome us with the safekeeping of the Lord. And so how does that work, right? Like, anyone else just kind of a natural skeptic like me? Anybody else just like, okay, like I read this, that sounds great, but like for real, how does that work? How does, how does this move from poetry to, to life? We all have to start with our need. All right, we all have to start with, with what does David need and what does that mean for us. And, and David literally needed rescue. He literally needed to, to be able to make it. He needed help and deliverance to come in and to save him and to protect him. And that is our need as well. But David's need wasn't so much from, uh, from an attack from the outside. His need was from his separation from God. He needed the presence of the Lord. That is what he needed. And it's the same for us. Our greatest need is not a job or clothes or, or comfort or relationships. Our greatest need is the presence of the Lord in our life. And the only way we have that presence, the only way we have the security is if our sin is removed and we can be reconciled back into a relationship with God. And so the problem that David had is the same problem that you and I have, is that we all choose to go our own way. We, we all think like, okay, I need, to, I, like, I need something, I'm going to do it myself. I, I'm not going to trust God with this. I know that he says this, but his timing's not going so great, so I'm going to step in here and do it myself. 
His plan says that, but gosh, I just don't really see how that's going to work. I think this plan looks good, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. And the Bible calls that sin. And when we sin, it puts a barrier in between us and the presence of God. It separates us from his presence. That was ultimately David's need. That is ultimately our need. And we need a rescue from our sin. We need that sin torn down so that we can be reconciled into a relationship with God. John chapter 1. This is how it tells us that we have that. John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning was the word. That word the, the word there, you can't see it in this font because it's all, it's all caps, but in the Bible, the, the, the letter W in word is capitalized. It's, it's a proper name. It's referencing to Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, talking about Jesus still, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus would later clarify this in John chapter 8, verse 12, and he says, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, Jesus is the light that we need. He is the fresh start, the new beginning, the salvation that we need to, to remove our sins. Jesus is that answer. He took on the powers of darkness, and the darkness does not overcome the light, ever. He took on the powers of hell, and hell cannot defeat Jesus. Rather, he defeated hell, and he offers us a new life for eternity with God. And so the same rescue and deliverance, the same strength and stronghold that, that David needed is what we need, and Jesus is that offer to us. He brings that opportunity to us. Perfection was expected, and we didn't live up to it, but Jesus did. Punishment for sins was required, and Jesus took that in our place. He was buried and took our sins away, and he rose from the dead, and by faith, if we trust him, then our sins are removed, that obstacle between us and God is torn down, and we are reconciled by trusting Jesus into the relationship with God. We stand in the presence of the Lord forever, and that is the rescue and the deliverance that we need. That is what David needed. That is what we need today and every day, is the presence of God, and Jesus is the way that we have that. That is how Psalm 27 is not just poetry, but it's true for us. And by faith, he's not going to ever lose us. He is our stronghold. He keeps us to the end. So what David needed is what we need, and Jesus is how we have that. This is how it's not just words on a paper, but it's real, and it's true, and it's life-giving. Colossians 1, it says that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We need to be moved from darkness to light. We need to be rescued from our sins, and the way that that happens is through the forgiveness of our sins that Jesus offers us by, by his death and his resurrection. It's the same rescue that David is looking for. He was confident because by faith he had that in God. We can be confident by faith we have that in Jesus. So we can stand confident just like David did. I mean, this, this confidence that David had, it, it left him enamored with God. He, he says in verse 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He knew the rescue and the salvation of God, and so that was all that he wanted was to be near the Lord. One thing, one thing is that he asked for. Man, if I'm in his shoes, uh, there's probably a few things I'd be asking for. Like, hey, I would like to live and my enemy to not, right? Like, I would like to triumph and my enemy to, to fall down. There's probably a few things I'm asking for, and David's like, man, there's just one thing that I want. There's just one thing that I need. All of that, it, it just pales in comparison to this one thing as the presence of the Lord. And so he's asking for the presence of the Lord. I've asked this question before, and I think it's pertinent. If you were promised to have all of your dreams and desires, they were going to be handed to you but you would no longer have the presence of the Lord, would you take it? All of your fears, all of your worries, all of your hopes, all, everything just laid out for you on a silver platter, everything you could dream of, but you have to give up a relationship with the Lord, would you take it? 
If you were told that you could have heaven and all of its riches for all of eternity, you were going to live in heaven, but it's not in the presence of God, would you take it? I mean, I think for the longest time growing up, that's what, that's what I was looking for. I wanted to go to heaven, not to hell. It wasn't that I wanted to be with the Lord. I just wanted to go to heaven. But heaven without the Lord is not heaven. Because his presence is the treasure. It is the reward. David understood that. He understood that there was nothing greater than being near him. And so that's the one thing he is looking for, the one thing he is asking for. Man, I think we have to ask ourselves, is that true of our life? I've been wrestling with that a lot lately. I know what it says. I know that he should be enough, that everything is found in him. And yet I just struggle to be content with him alone. Like I want him, but can you also please add these three things in too? Like I want to know him and to, to just be confident and secure in him. But I also really want to be secure in our finances. Like can't I just have both? And maybe, but, but maybe not. Is he enough if I don't have that? Am I truly satisfied in simply his presence? Man, I think that's something that if we're all honest with, we would struggle to answer. And yet David knows there's nothing greater. There's nothing greater than him, that, that in him is, is shelter. In him, he's going to be lifted up. And that's what's going to move him to praise for shouts of joy. And David was so confident in the Lord. You read this and it's kind of like this just like spiritual high. Like everything's going great, man. He just feels so, so close to the Lord. Church was great. The songs are great, man. He raised his hands even. Like he just, he's getting at it. Like everything is good. And then you get to verse seven. And it's, it's like it just changed. He's like, all I want is the Lord. And then you get to verse 7, and he's like, hey, Lord, be gracious to me and answer me. Like, you told me to seek your face, and I'm seeking your face. How about you not hide from me? Right, like, I love the Bible for so many reasons. One of them is that it doesn't hold back from just kind of the imperfections of people. Like, he's in this same journal entry. In one second, he's like, man, my confidence is in the Lord. I'm surrounded by enemies, and nothing's going to overtake me. Within the same journal entry from verse 6 to verse 7, he's like, hey, God, where are you? Why are you hiding yourself from me? I'm doing what you told me to do. Why are you not coming through? Anyone else ever feel that way? Where you're like, I'm, I'm tracking with God. Oh, my gosh, I can take on the world. Nope, I'm out. Can't do it. He's not there. He's not there. Didn't see that coming. That's what we see with David. Is he's just like, God, what, what are you doing? What in the world is happening? I, I think there's a lot of encouragement to be had there. If it's okay for David to not be okay, it's okay for us to not be okay. Like, it's okay for us to genuinely love the Lord and then to be hit in the face with life and to be like, oh my gosh, I'm really struggling with this right now. Like, that's, that's real. That's okay. We don't want to stay there. We don't want to settle there. But it's okay to not be okay. David was. I mean, he, he cried out to God. He brought his complaints before the Lord. He's like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you forsaking me? Psalm 13, I was just reading recently, uh, the way it starts. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? Like, I just appreciate that David writes out what is real in life. And it's, it's okay. It's okay because, because God's a big God and he can handle it. He, he can handle our brokenness and our hurts and our complaints. And, and really, he's the only one that can handle it well. And so it's okay. I just, I appreciate that it's such a sharp turn that David's like, okay, God, don't forsake me. Like, I, I'm so confident, Lord. Hey, God, don't, don't leave me. Like, show up. I need you here. Don't forsake me. My enemies are surrounding. I also appreciate that when it got tough there in verse 7 through 12, he, he was still looking to the Lord for his answers. Like, it was great in verses 1 through 6, and the Lord was his answer. And then in verse 7 through 12, he's like, I don't know. But he's still looking to the Lord for his answer. He didn't turn to other things. 
he was still depending on, on the Lord to come through for his answer. Look, I, I just, th- this, is, this is life. And the Lord's good for it. So what do we do? Right, what do we do when, when, when he's good? What do we do when, when not he's good, he's always good. What do we do when things are good? What do we do when things are not good? How, what, do we, what do we do with this, with this yo-yo effect, this up and down, like one day it's great, the next day it's not? How do we handle that? And that's where we get in verse 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Here's what we do. Let's just assume all of us are soaring in our faith right now, that we've never been closer to the Lord. When the day comes when that dips because it's going to dip, and when the day comes when the bottom just drops out beneath your feet and everything seems to crumble because that day is going to come as well, and our faith is a struggle, and we don't know, and we're doubting, and we're questioning, and we're not sure of what, what's coming, and we just don't feel near to the Lord, and we're listening for his voice, and we hear nothing, and we're asking for his presence, and we feel nothing. What do we, what do, we do in those moments? Here's what we do. We remember who the Lord is, and we make a conscious choice to trust him regardless. We, we remember that he is my light and my salvation. That's not going to change. God is true to his word. He cannot lie to his word or he is not God. So this is who he is. He is my light and my salvation. He is my strong. We remember that and we make a conscious choice. I'm going to trust the Lord and I'm going to wait for him. That's it. That's what I'm going to do today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day. I'm not going anywhere. That's what David did. Trust is a choice. It is a choice that we make and we say, I am going to trust him. We're going to trust something. We're going to trust something. You're sitting in a chair. You're trusting that it's going to hold you up. We make choices of trust all the time. When it comes to faith, we're going to trust something. We're going to trust the Lord or we're going to trust in our own strength and our own logic, our own self. We're going to trust who the Bible says he is or we're going to trust what makes sense to us in these circumstances. And what do we do when when it's just not easy? We dig our heels in and we trust the Lord and we wait for him. We wait for him to be faithful as he promised that he will. Gosh, the word wait, I hate it. With a passion, I hate it. And it's all over the stinking Bible. Like it's everywhere. Wait for the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. What? No, I don't want to wait anymore. Like, I just want to be done with this. Like, I just want to be there. I don't want to wait here for the Lord to take me there. I would like to just walk there myself. Thank you. Like, I hate this waiting thing, and yet that's where the Bible says that my faith is strengthened. That's where the Bible says that the Lord develops perseverance and endurance with me so that I may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Oh. We wait. Isaiah 40, it says, Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. We wait for the Lord. We choose. I'm going to trust him. And we wait. We just dig our heels in and we wait and we wait and we wait. And so what does that even look like, right? Like what does that mean? I love, I told, I told Robert, you can put that slide up. The second song we said, I think that it, it gives a great picture of what this means. It, in the chorus, it says, if you're not here, I don't want to be. I won't be moved unless you move. That's waiting. It, it's, all right, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm not looking to the right, and I'm not looking to the left, and I am not moving unless you move me. That, that's That's waiting. The next slide, what does it say? Um, I need you more than the air I breathe. I need you. I need you. Waiting is depending on the Lord. Man, what's so common? Here's, here's what I do a lot of times, right? Here's what I do. Is I say, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I trust God. Yes. Now let me get to work and go figure this out. 
right? Like, let me, let me put my thinking cap on. Let me try to resolve this. Okay, if this happens and that happens, then I can do this. And I just try to get my hands in there and fix everything. That's not dependence on the Lord. That's not waiting on the Lord. That's liking the Lord, but I'm going to take care of this myself. Like, I think that you're good, but I don't really trust that you're good, so I'm going to go bring my own goodness into my life. And the Bible says, wait for the Lord. Here's what the Bible tells us over and over again, and here's what you and I know from experience. If we wait on the Lord, then he is faithful to be good. But when we step over here and we try to do things on our own, it never goes well. It never ends well. The amount of hurt and brokenness that we have brought into our own life is not because we were waiting on the Lord. It's because we stopped waiting for his plans and we started walking our own plans, right? And yet he tells us, wait for the Lord. Just just trust him. He's good. Wait for him. Wait for the Lord. John 15, I think that it tells us kind of what that looks like, right? Like, okay, we know that it's just fixing our eyes on him and it's not moving to the right or to the left. It's trusting him. It's, it's just being locked into him. So, so how do we do that? John 15, verse four, abide in me. This is Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Quick translation, wait in the Lord, you can do great things in Christ. Separated from him, you'll do nothing. If you have the nutrients and the strength and the support of the Lord, you will flourish and thrive. It may not look the way you thought, but he promises it will go well. He promises that it will be good. Now again, his definition of good may look different than mine and yours. But he promises it's good. Separate yourself from the Lord and it's not going to go well. Abide in him, we bear much fruit. Separated, separated, we can do nothing apart from him. So then what do we do to wait, to abide? Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The first thing he says is this communion with God. Abide in his words. Let his words abide in you. We read and we talk and we listen and we throw our hearts before him. We have this communion with God. Philippians 4, it says, to do, do, it says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't worry about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does it look like to wait? It's saying, okay, God, I am going to commune with you. I'm going to listen to your words. I'm going to read your words. I'm going to give you my words. I'm going to listen for this dialogue back. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to bring my requests to you and I'm going to let them go because when I hold on to them, I'm not actually bringing my requests to you. I'm just kind of talking, but I'm going to handle it myself. I'm going to let them go and I'm going to trust that you will be good with them. And he promises that the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will come and will protect your minds and your hearts and will give you what you need to keep trusting. And so we commune with him. We know his words. The next thing it says about waiting is that we act in obedience. So I think a lot of times I think of waiting as this very passive thing. Like, oh, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. Like, I'm just going to wait. So there is a time to be still and to know that he's got to be still and to watch and to commune with him. And then we're to walk in obedience, to follow in his footsteps. Jesus isn't staying still. He's walking. He's doing things. We follow in his footsteps. That's what it says in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Check out this conclusion. These things I have spoken to you, abide in Christ, commune with him, obey his words. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Come on! We want to know life and joy, and it's in Christ. It's abiding in him and his words and communion and following him in obedience. When we walk over here and we step away from him, it's not going to be joyful. We can be confident because he is my light and my salvation, my stronghold, and when I wait on him, he will come through. But when I walk away from him, I am no longer in his safety and protection. 
I have separated myself from his presence, from his safety and protection, and I am setting myself up for ruin. The devil is looking for someone to devour, and who is he going to devour? Is the per- not the person who's waiting in the Lord. He's going to devour the person who's walked away from the Lord and is trying to do things on their own. But if we remain in him, if we wait on him, he's good, he's faithful. I want to end with this. How do, we, how do you know you can trust him? Right? The life of following Jesus is the life of total surrender. All right, I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you my hopes and my dreams. I'm giving you my pleasures. I'm giving you my finances. I'm giving you my sexuality. I'm giving you my relationships. I'm giving you my future. Like everything, I'm surrendering to you. You call the shots. I believe you're good. I believe your way is right. So to follow Jesus is to, is to follow his words and to walk in obedience. I'm surrendering everything. How do you know that he's trustworthy? How, how, how do we know? How do we know that we're not going to follow for a bit and then he's going to bail on us and we're going to be left on our own just to fall flat on our faces? How, how do we know that David's not going to walk out of that cave and just get smashed down? That God's good for his word. And if you've never asked that question, gosh, I, praise God. I, I believe the question is there. I believe that every day we will all come face to face with that question at some point. Can I trust him? Is he good for it? Here's how we know. Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Sounds a lot like what David was saying, right? If God is for me, who can be against me? Whom shall I fear? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do we know God is for us? Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God's for me, who can be against me? Well, how do I know God's for me? Because he sent his son to suffer the wrath for my sins. That he's already demonstrated, he's already proven that he's for me because Jesus came and he took my sins on himself and suffered and died for them. And then he rose from the dead and And not because I was worthy or deserved it. He offers me life. He offers me everything. That's how we know that, man, it's going to be hard sometimes. And sometimes our questions are going to flood us and fear is going to surround us and anxiety. And we're not going to know what to do. But we're going to know that, dang it, God is for me. And I'm not going to go over here and go my own way because his way is good and he promises that he's worth it. And he promises that he's, he's going to be there and he's faithful. And he's already proven it in Jesus. And so that's how we know that I can stand firm and I can follow him because he is good and he's already proven it. If he's already given Jesus, his son, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he's already given us the best, man, all the other things, that's just icing on top. If he's already saved our souls from eternity and hell to live with him forever, That's all we need. Everything else is just just bonus. He's going to give us all all things because he already has. That's how we know. So I don't know know where you are today. I don't know if you're verses 1 through 6 confident like David. Man, just killing it, doing great. I don't know if you're 7 through 12. God, where are you? What is happening? I don't understand Either way, choose to trust who the Lord is, to believe that you will dwell in the land of the living, not because you're going to get yourself there, but because he is going to get you there, and wait for him. Don't chase other things. Don't don't give up and, and implement your own plans. Wait for him. He's good for it. He's already proven it. Remind yourself of that truth. Let that truth encourage you and inspire you and compel you to move forward in faith and to celebrate and to worship this God who's given us all things. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, you know, you know my own heart.
God, I think, um, I think about the, gosh, I don't even remember the, the father, but he, he was praying for healing, and, and he just asked Jesus, he said, I believe, but help my unbelief, like he just admitted that he doubted still, and um, I think, I think that's, that's oftentimes a lot of us, um, that's me, that's probably others here today, God, help our unbelief. When it's dark and we don't know, we don't know what tomorrow looks like or we can't see the future, it's, it's so easy just to start looking around us and to just to detour and go try to make sense of it ourselves. And God, just put yourself right in front of us. God, move near to us that all we can see is you. And give us the faith to believe that you're good and you're worth it and that, that we will wait for you. We will not get impatient. We will not think that other things will satisfy. We will wait for you. And as you fill us, then we will be good to keep going. God, do that for us today. Deliver us, rescue us, be the light that we need, be the new day and the new beginning that we need, be the stronghold that we need, God, that, that nothing around us can, can overcome us because you are our stronghold. God, I don't want this to just be words on paper and a talk. I want this to be real for us. For my own life, I want this to be real, just this steady confidence in who you are. God, as I, as I so often do, and I just I lose focus, I need to be reminded of the proof that, that you're for me and that's in Christ. And I pray that every single person in this room will know that without doubt that you're for us and the evidence is in Jesus. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.